Hello and welcome to Homebrew from Time for Cakes Now with me Bex and me Eason and this time we're joined by Anne aka Dude Point who is a Eurovision superfan. Hello dude! Hello! How are you both? We are both good. How are you getting on during the lockdown? Uh, It's giving me more time to think about Eurovision so not at all bad thing. So you're a Eurovision superfan. How did you first get into Eurovision as a, a fandom and a community? Um, I'm sure that people who are listening to your podcast are going to say, oh, you're not enough of a superfan, um, because I'm fairly recent. I am uh, obviously not British um, and moved to this country about eight years ago, and I caught the... 2012 contest in Baku um, which happens to be the one with the best Eurovision song of all time Euphoria by Loreen and I saw it and I was like this contest is amazing how, how do I learn more and then it just kind of grew from there in 2016 I went to my first contest in person and from that point it was just all over um, the year after that I started going to national finals in person so now I spend a good six to eight months out of the year planning all my travel solely around Eurovision and Eurovision-related events. What is it that makes the fandom and the community around Eurovision so special? The Eurovision fandom is special because, uh, first of all, it's fun. There's nothing that can't be solved with a good dance beat. Um, <laughs> Uh, secondly it's really welcoming and open um, because the fandom is traditionally made up it has a, a large percentage of LGBTQIA fans so there's always that sense that this is kind of its its own little party um, and three especially in the UK because most casual Eurovision fans tend to have a disdain for the contest people who really appreciate it and love it are welcomed yeah I would say that many people might think of uh, Eurovision as you know the one-off event that should have been happening this upcoming Saturday on on BBC One in this country and that's the big event that people know of as Eurovision but you've already alluded to it how long is the actual whole Eurovision calendar I mean what does it entail how long does it run for so Eurovision itself, uh, the European Broadcasting Union will run several events during the year. Eurovision in May is the main one. There's also Junior Eurovision. I'm not so much a fan of that. Eurovision Young Musician of the Year, Eurovision Choir of the Year. So there are, while Eurovision itself is the big thing, there are also side events. Then in the fandom, uh, currently there are 41 countries participating in Eurovision, and each one of those countries has to... Uh, decide who to send to the main Eurovision event. So many of them will have um, competitions of their own. So it usually starts in December, uh, at the end of December in Albania with Festival Ikengis. Um And then in January, you get the start uh, with Lithuania and uh, what used to be Eurovisijo Satranka, but is now Pandabal Mesnajo. And then in February, like every weekend... Um, on Saturday night, I will be sitting with about four computers in front of me, watching multiple <laughs> events at the same time. Um, Italy's 25-hour San Remo Festival. Um, this year, uh, Norway had a new five-week festival. So 
basically from January until March, every Saturday night is spent watching somebody pick a Eurovision song. Are there any particular national contests that are your favourites or that, that have a, a way of picking a song that you think works particularly well? Um, I think San Remo is Italy's choice. And actually the San Remo competition is what the Eurovision competition is based on. So San Remo was designed um, to take place post-war in the uh, Italian resort town of San Remo on the Mediterranean. And they wanted to have a music festival to help encourage people to come to the town and revitalize businesses. So it first happened um, in the, I think, early 1950s with about three contestants. Now it's grown to 24 contestants over five nights, still in San Remo. And that one is fascinating because there's no concept of time. Like, the contest (laughs) just takes as long as it takes. So you have basically all these performances, 24 performers on the big show, uh, another set of performers on the beginner show, then random uh, comedy bits, uh, all in Italian, which I don't speak. Um, This year, Dua Lipa showed up and performed a song. Um, Novak Djokovic, the tennis player, showed up for about 20 minutes of banter, and he ended up singing a song. So it's like entering this parallel universe uh, that's, um, it's fantastic. Uh, And you end up, like, at the end of the week, having just sat down and watched four to five hours of Italian television every night. You come out, and you feel a sense of loss for not spending time with Tiziano Ferro (laughs) and Fiorello and Amadeus at the end of the night. You're going to miss them when it's over. So that's a really good one. Um, Sweden is also known for its very highly professional uh, competition called Melody Festivalen, which runs over six weeks. Um, And this is possibly the one that's most well known in the Eurovision community. I've been to it now for two years in a row uh, to see some of the artists that I like. Um, This is the one that confuses people on non-Eurovision Twitter, because when it's happening... In the heats, uh, Melody Festivalen or Melfest acts can either lose the competition altogether, get Andra Chanson, uh, which is second chance, and go to a second chance uh, heat, or go direct to final, which we all call DTF. So on a Saturday night, you'll have all of these people going, you know, Robin Bankston, DTF, I'm so happy! Um... (laughs) not at all meaning what you think it means um yeah so i've i've been to national finals in sweden estonia latvia um i was hoping to go to lithuania this year but couldn't get tickets um i was hoping to go to finland but couldn't get tickets i've been to iceland twice uh so it's really just a lot of fun yeah so how many of the festivals actually managed to take place before the coronavirus pandemic spread and lockdown? Uh, the great news is that all 41 countries participating announced their act because the deadline for announcing your Eurovision act is 
uh, about two months before the actual competition is scheduled to take place. So there's a big uh, EBU broadcasters meeting. So we had all of the songs, and coronavirus only impacted um, one competition, uh, Denmark. They held Denmark's Melody Grand Prix, uh, but they held it in an empty uh, stadium, just an arena with performers and absolutely no audience. Um, so it was interesting to watch a performance that had all the, like, the camera angles were the same as they had planned. So they had shots, you know, with a ton of empty seats behind them instead of an audience. Um, but we were really lucky in that we have now the entire complement. And then about 10 days after the last act was chosen, um, that's when they announced, announced the cancellation. This is probably a, a dumb question, but next year... Are completely new acts going to get chosen, or are the acts that were chosen this year going to get a chance to perform next year? What's actually going to happen is, is there going to be 41 acts who get really unlucky and get chosen and then never get to perform? So, first of all, that's not a dumb question. The only dumb question in Eurovision is, why is Australia in Eurovision if it's called Eurovision? <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's a very long and good answer to that, but... um. We don't know what's going to happen with the 41 acts this year. It all depends on the country. So, uh, for example, in Sweden, um, a wonderful pop gospel act called The Mamas won. And because Sweden relies on Melody Festivalen um, for six weeks of television programming each year, they're not going to get to come back. Whereas some other countries have announced, yes, we're going to keep the act what we do know is that all of the songs that were eligible for this year uh, will have to change. So you may have the same act, but they'll need to sing a different song. Is that because of the rules about how old the song is allowed to be in order to be the entry? Correct. You need to have a song that is released no later than September in the previous year um, to qualify as an entry. Has the BBC, or whoever it is that picks the UK act, have they said what they're going to do with, with our act this year or nothing yet nothing yet um so we're waiting to find out what's going to happen with james newman um there's actually a really good documentary that was just released by a bbc newsbeat um where they started following james newman during his eurovision journey and then it got cancelled um <laughs> and uh, he does some calls with other artists where they're all talking about like yeah i don't know what's going to happen next year i worked really hard and now it's kind of come to nothing so like for example Latvia so this year's Latvian entry is a wonderful force of chaos named Samantha Tina if you see her performance she is like the drunk mom on a dance floor at 3am her performance has like amazing backup dancers a fringed costume a huge drop and white lady rapping. So it's got a total package and I love her. This was her eighth attempt to go to Eurovision and it was the first time she actually made it. She entered the Lithuanian competition once, the Latvian competition seven times. So she finally got the golden ticket and now it's unclear whether or not she's going to get to perform. Going back to the way that some countries have these big events to, to pick acts it felt a shame over the last few months when 
we didn't have anything in the UK about picking an actor or a song this time. Um, I was actually quite surprised when it just got sprung on us. Here's the act and here's the song and it's already been decided. But in the past, I've watched the... Uh, was it, you call it Making Your Mind Up or something like that, whatever the, the BBC show was, um, where they had the public vote to pick an act. And I've ended up being really gutted because songs I thought were really good didn't get chosen. Are there any particular songs from all over the Eurovision map that you are still gutted about having not actually made it to the finals? So many songs. So (laughs) many songs. Um, So, uh, first of all, yeah, there's no requirement that there be a competition. And... Um, the BBC has been moving from making your mind up to internal selection to Eurovision. You decide this year they went back to internal selection and actually a lot of fans are really happy about that because they're partnering with BMG. So they're trying to create something that's more of a commercial music product. Um, and in a way people fans feel like they're taking it more seriously because again, the attitude of, the UK in Eurovision seems to be we we're Britain we do a lot of amazing music but Eurovision doesn't deserve any of that which is <laughs> not true this year the comp there were two competitions that were incredibly hard one was uh Lithuania because Lithuania this year changed the name of its competition from Eurovisigosatranka and I'm mispronouncing all of these horribly um <laughs> to Pandabom Isnajo. And what that basically means is they changed the name of their competition to Let's Try Again. (laughs) And somehow it got a glow up. And Lithuania usually has about 40 acts over six weeks. And there are a lot of joke acts in there. But this year um, there was a 1990s, like, rap song that sounded it sounded like it came directly from 1992 <laughs> called Drip which is about uh, a guy getting told off because he's not drip enough but he he sings about his um blue ass pants and it's <laughs> it's fascinating um there was a song in there called uh Alligator uh by a woman named Kyra who dressed as the Joker on stage and sang a song about how she would change her how she would change her personality based upon what you wanted it to be so at first it looks like a really funny song but lyrically it's a very sad song and it was fantastic um but the competition was ultimately won by the roop who you may know you may have seen on viral videos because uh they came out and they have a song with a dance that kind of just took the fandom by storm. It's pretty ridiculous, uh, but the competition happened and then Lithuania was at the top of the odds, which has never happened. Lithuania's best win was sixth place, I think, in 2006. Um, And that's when they entered a song called We Are the Winners of Eurovision. I remember Um, that one. I remember that one. (laughs) I can probably sing it. That and Donnie Montel in 2016 have been their best ever finishes. So everybody in Lithuania was so excited this year and that it got cancelled. Um, yeah. So that was one. Oh, Finland was the other. They had five artists, four women, four female acts, and one male act. 
Among the female acts was this woman named Erica Vickman who did a song called Chichicolina after the Italian porn star. And it was a song about being free and expressive with one's sexuality. She sang it on stage in a tight dress with a purple flower crown and bears. And by <laughs> bears, I don't mean big hairy gay men. I mean <laughs> people dressed as like... Grizzly bears. Exactly, grizzly bears. <laughs> um, and it was a phenomenal performance and there was so much energy in the fandom for it. They also had this really um, queer positive girl group singing about um, singing about going out with your gal pals and acting on your crushes and it was just it was it was a way to express female sexual identity in you know if we look at Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl which is all about the male gaze this was very much not about the male gaze it was about female pleasure um so I love that song as well. So you had these amazing tracks coming out. And then this very sweet guy named Axel won with a traditional man ballad. Um, he was the only guy in the competition to win. Uh, only guy in the competition and he won. And it, it was really heartbreaking for a lot of people because they had wanted Erica Vickman to win so much. But yeah, that was another big upset. The one I'm still gutted about from a few years ago on their UK contest is uh, Legends. I still think that should have been the one that we sent. Because we are legends tonight. Uh, yeah. That horn section, it was amazing. The issue, this is the, the really interesting thing, though, is that, like you, I thought Legends, I was rooting for Legends. I wanted it to go. But it comes down to the difference between studio and performance. And this is one of the things we're missing from this year. So, Legend Studio was amazing, but performance-wise, Suri came out and performed Storm, and it blew me away. I couldn't believe the song. I hadn't liked it before I heard her perform it on stage, and then it just kept growing on me and growing on me. And now, Suri, who had a song that I didn't like in the beginning, is now a queen of the fandom, one of the things we've been doing in lockdown, she's put on concerts where she's done all Eurovision covers um, for fans. So we've all just kind of sat there and watched her perform from her apartment. And she has ranged. The woman has managed to do a cover of Lordy's Hard Rock Hallelujah oh, wow. on a piano, <laughs> which is to die for. It's so good. Anyway, yeah. Well, I've, got, I've got to look that up now. I want to hear that. <laughs> I'll send over a long list of links. So. <laughs> What other online events have been happening in the past few weeks in the absence of the actual Eurovision live show itself coming up? So in a normal season, what would happen is all the songs would be announced by the end of March. And then in April, there would be the pre-party season. So fans would go to hear the acts perform live at... Eurovision Concert in Amsterdam, London Eurovision Party, uh, Madrid Eurovision Party, Tel Aviv Eurovision Party. People would go all over the continent and watch people perform. In lieu of those this year, there have been a couple of things. One is Eurovision Home Concerts, which is done by the EBU. And every Friday at um, 
5 p.m. Central European time, they have artists from Eurovision both this year and previous years perform their song and then perform a cover of a previous Eurovision song. So that's happened for the past five weeks, and it's been fantastic. It's been really good, and it's changed our perceptions of some artists who have just come away with new interpretations of songs. The second thing that's been going on has been on Saturday nights, a fan named Rob Holly, who does Eurovision articles for The Independent, started fan rewatches called Eurovision Again, and it was picked up by the uh, EBU. So for the past few weeks, we've been watching old Eurovisions um, and tweeting along with them every Saturday night, which has been a lot of fun. And it's brought up, I think, for a lot of people, memories. People are talking about when they first experienced a particular contest or how they felt during this contest, or they've discovered new acts from contests. So those are happening. There's also the organizations that are typically happening where you'll have fans who create their own juries. Um, So I was just participating in the American jury where there was a group of about 30 American Eurovision fans where we ranked all the songs So I've done four or five juries this year as well, um, where we rank all the songs and then try to pick our winners based upon those. Is there anything that's going to be broadcast this coming Saturday in lieu of the TV show? Because one thing that we are really going to miss is getting very drunk and tweeting about all of the songs when they come on. So the answer is yes! Um, (laughs) There is actually a bunch of stuff going on. Uh, There will be a whole day of programming for the BBC and there will be the EBU is doing a program called Love Shine a Light, which will highlight the acts from this year. And then the BBC will be running its own program about 2020. And then they'll also be doing some uh, reruns of other programming, like their 60th anniversary celebration. So on Saturday, it will be an entire day of Eurovision. There's also been other Eurovision events this week. Um, Ken Bruce has been doing some Eurovision content on his show. Uh, Today, I tuned into the BBC News Facebook page to watch their Moscow correspondent perform Eurovision covers um, (laughs) from the piano of the Netherlands Embassy. So, like, a lot of stuff is going on. Um, When we're finished recording this, actually, I'm going to tune in to YouTube where the EBU is running what would be the semifinal because, again... Eurovision is a whole week where you have two semifinals and then a final show. So they're running things on the Tuesday and the Thursday on YouTube to replace the semis. And then I'll also be, you know, tuning into programs that are run by Sweden, um, Iceland. Uh, I've been watching uh, the German sh- song check program. I don't speak any of these languages, um, but <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's nice tuning in to see what other countries are saying. And do you think that the the fandom is going to be doing anything uh, special this year to kind of keep Eurovision going after you know after the main show would have been on until potentially when the new season would have started uh, later in the year? Is it just going to be uh, you know, continuing just to kind of keep the spirit alive even more? Um, it's difficult to say because I'm, I'm sure there will be stuff happening. But every year after Eurovision, uh, we all joke about PED, post-Eurovision depression. And Eurovision fans will typically get depressed for a couple of weeks because the season is over. Like, the thing about Eurovision is when the actual show happens on the Friday night, it's kind of a letdown 
because you've had this build-up for six months. So it's like Christmas... It's like Christmas night when you're like, wow, I've had all this fun and the fun's going to be over soon. Um, but there are events in the off-season. There tend to be um, Eurovision club nights. Uh, there's one in Glasgow called Ne Party Pa. Um, there's uh, Eurovision club nights here. Uh, I'll go to Euro Club. I'll see, they'll ship in Eurovision acts. So you'll see Kano, for example. I saw them at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern in London last year. Um, there's the Eurovision cruise that happens every year. Um, the fan clubs will run Eurovision weekend parties. So there are events to take place, but the issue is with the virus and things not opening yet, we don't know when they'll take place again. So you said that you've done a few jury votes this year. Have you changed your mind at all between the different juries as to which ones that you voted for? Have have certain songs from this year gone up and down in your uh, ranking as you've listened to them more and more? 100%. <laughs> um, my number one has and will continue to be Iceland, uh, Think About Things, by uh, Dathi Freyr, because I've been a fan of his since 2017 when he entered Songvikepnin um, and lost. But I went to Iceland to see him then because I was like, this is such an amazing act! So he's been my number one. Belarus, uh, it's a group called Val, um, and they do a synth-pop song called David Na. Um, or sorry, David Na. Yeah, it's David Na. Um, it's D-A-V-I-D-N-A, so I always in my mind think of it as David Na, like it's somebody I know, my friend David Na. Um, <laughs> and it's actually a very sad song about um, a woman who is in a relationship that makes her unhappy, um, but she manages to find escape, but it doesn't sound unhappy at all. So that has gone into my top ten my number two song is Trash. It's absolute trash. It's a song from <laughs> Armenia by a woman named Athena Manukian. It's called Chains on You. And I cannot help but love it. It is one of the worst songs I've ever heard. <laughs> um, and yet it sticks in your head. So I can't, I, I've been ranking it much higher than many other people. Um, <laughs> yeah, I should also note that I have a um, a bias towards bangers. So w within the Eurovision fandom, there are subgenres of fans. So you'll have people who are, you know, Balkan ballad fans, and they'll just love these really big heartfelt ballads from the Balkan countries. This year we have Voda. This year we have um, a guy named Demir from Croatia who sing these big emotional songs in their native languages. You also have the Schlagerheads who are going to love anything that comes out of Sweden. Um, very generic, highly processed pop. Uh, I am one of them. Um, and then I am biased towards anything with the dance beat. So uh, this year, for example, I'm really loving uh, San Marino's Freaky uh, by Senhit. San Marino um, usually doesn't have a great track record of qualifying for the Eurovision final. And they're looked down on by some fans for 
entering trashy pop, but I love what they enter. Um, last year, they managed to make the final uh, with the song Say Na 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 by a Turkish dentist named Serhat. And there was a movement within the fandom, um, hashtag Serhat for Saturday, where everybody really wanted to get San Marino into the final. The other song which has really grown on me this year is actually from the Netherlands. Again, I usually tend not to like ballads, especially ballads by men. Um, the derogatory term for these ballads are ballads by sad boys. So we call all of these sad boys. Uh, but Jangu McCroy from the Netherlands did a song called Grow, which is about how being an adult isn't quite like what he thought being an adult would be, but he's trying to grow every day and be better. It's very stripped back, um, and the way it builds is absolutely amazing, and it makes me want to cry every time I hear it. So that is also moved into my top ten. Are there some songs that suffer without the staging that was intended to be with them on the actual live stage itself? That's really tough to say, because we don't know. I think the Roop, might, who are from Lithuania, some people might not find them as catchy without their dance moves, but we never got to the point where we would see the full staging of every song. So as a result, I think some of the rankings may have changed over the week, and we just don't know. A lot of fans were expecting Bulgaria, with the woman named Victoria, who is a song called Tears Getting Sober, to rank really highly once we saw the staging because Bulgaria has a track record of very good staging for what a lot of people really love as a good song. This is probably impossible to answer, but this time next year, fingers crossed, there will be a Eurovision and live shows in a final and some semblance of normality, even if it isn't completely normal. Do you think that all of this is going to impact some of the choices that get made in terms of the songs that get put forward or the way people are going to vote or people's attitudes towards the show i've asked you an impossible question i'm sorry <laughs> you you actually haven't asked me an impossible question because there are eurovision trends so for example the song that came second in 2018 um was from cyprus it's called fuego by eleni ferreira and it's a kind of Shakira Mediterranean tropical banger of a song and when it was performed Eleni performed it with hairography so it was a Beyonce style presentation for this song and it was amazing the song that won that year was Toy which was had political momentum from the Me Too movement etc but if the contest had gone another two weeks Fuego probably would have won that's a long way to say since Fuego entered the competition, each year we now get Fuego likes. Songs that sound like Fuego. So I expect next year we'll fully get three or four Fuego likes. Um, because Duncan Lawrence won last year uh, with a man ballad. We had a bunch of other man ballads this year. We'll get more of those. You're always going to get Balkan ballads. You're always going to get tiny ladies with big voices. Um, there are certain things trends will see. I, I don't think the influence from this year's songs will influence next year's songs because while a couple of them have gone viral I don't think it's been enough to influence broadcasters to try to recreate that viral hit especially because you can't like you can't choose to push a song on TikTok 
and have it explode the way that Think About Things from Iceland did. Have you listened to this year's songs? Do you have any favourites? We, ha- we haven't listened to that many, actually. Cause one of the things that I always love to do is, on, on the finals, go in not knowing what a lot of them are going to be and getting a very often very startling first impression of some of them. I must confess, I have listened to the UK's one and I cannot remember it at all, which is possibly not a good thing. <laughs> um, but are, are there any in particular that everyone should go out and immediately stream and find out about? The answer is yes. Uh, Dottie Freyer's Think About Things is one people should look at the video for. The Roops on Fire, people should look at that. Um the Mamas from Sweden, Malta, uh, sent a woman named Destiny with a song called uh, All My Love, which is, she won Junior Eurovision a couple years ago, and we've all been just waiting for her to come to real Eurovision because she's amazing. But I feel like what I should do is I should put together a playlist on YouTube of all the songs and then send them to you to watch and see yep. which ones you like best. That would, that would be fantastic, and then we can send the playlist around, yeah. Yeah, um, and because I've got, I was actually just doing, um, I have a Spotify playlist with all of my songs ranked from 41st to 1st, um, but I think, again, <laughs> seeing some of the performances live really does make a difference. So we definitely need something to do this Saturday, because there are a lot of different alcohols in the cupboard, and they are all demanding to be drunk while um, indulging in some increasingly bizarre and uh, unusual and completely new music so yeah um so <laughs> if you like alcohol romania has a song for you excellent it's performed by this woman named roxin uh it was an internal selection so roxin performed five songs on romanian television and then people voted for the one they liked the best and the one that won is a song that is 41st for me dead last (laughs) because it's called alcohol you and the chorus is alcohol you when i'm drunk and for me that is just (laughs) such an unforgivable pun (laughs) i cannot it doesn't translate to a uh, to podcast audio, but my head is in my hands at the moment. <laughs> um, she also uses the phrase fake news, and I'm like, no, Roxanne, there is no... Let's not talk about fake news at a time when people are saying, drink bleach, just like, zip it, zip it, Roxanne. Um, so yes, it's a nice contrast with tears getting sober. So another thing I love about the Eurasian community is memes... Um, and the way we all laugh about the different songs that are out there in a loving way, because we love we love Eurovision. But we've also been kind of re-ranking all the songs based upon coronavirus. So, you know, the UK's entry uh, called My Last Breath, no longer looking so good. Um, <laughs> but Latvia's entry called Still Breathing, looking a lot better right now. Um <laughs> Yeah, the the other thing which I love about this year is France. So France uh released its song. It's by a guy named Tom Lieb, who's uh a comedian but also a very hunky guy. He's 
he plays acoustic guitar. Um, he wears beanies. Does that like give you a picture in your mind? Okay, great. Yeah. You've got it. Um, <laughs> lots of muscles, some scruff. And he released a song called You Were the Best in Me, which he co-wrote with uh, Swedish songwriters Thomas Jeeson and John Lundvik. John Lundvik, who came in fifth place, I think, last year with his song for Sweden and who writes songs for other countries. He wrote the UK entry last year. Um, and France built it up. They were like, this is going to be the best song ever. Everybody's going to love this song. You will. It's amazing. They rented out the Eiffel Tower on a Sunday night. <laughs> French television shows Tom Lieb on the Eiffel Tower doing a performance of his song, the premiere, You Are the Best in Me. And the next day, the French culture minister was like, this is not a good song. Um, <laughs> so we're all laughing that France rented out the Eiffel Tower to premiere this song. Um, yeah, but it's a, I, I actually have a very soft spot for it because it is such a traditional Eurovision song. It hits all the right spots, but they had to release a revamp with more French in it to make it French enough for the culture minister. Yeah. Um, there's so I this is one reason I follow Eurovision because there are so many of these little dramas that are interesting and funny and give you insight into what the priorities of a country are at any one time. That sounds really pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was gonna I was gonna ask what uh what the. BBC's behaviour over the last few years says about what our priorities are as a country, but I'm afraid I might not like the answer. <laughs> um, yeah, I think among Eurovision fans, there are Eurovision fans in Europe who are like, man, BBC, get your act together. Like, every year you don't send something good. Um, but I think looking at the entries of the past few years, when Lucy Jones performed... She had her performance. She's a West End star. She sang this song, I Will Never Give Up On You. The first time I heard it, I was like, okay, it's okay. They revamped it, and it gave me chills. And the staging was amazing. She stood in a clamshell, a mirrored clamshell. There were all these spangles. She belted her heart out. I was like, top ten. This song is going to be top ten. And it wasn't. And I think... Some of the UK's reputation, we have put forward some really good songs that just haven't made a hit. But then we've also had years when we haven't really tried. This year, for example, when James Newman's song was played, uh, it was debuted on Radio 1 and Radio 2 at the same time. And Radio 2, Ken Bruce, who's been doing Eurovision for ages, was really into it, really complimentary. Radio 1, Greg James made fun of it. He's like, I don't know why I'm playing this song. And it's like, well, with that attitude, you're not going to really get anybody interested. Part of it is the Woganization of the contest, where Terry Wogan made fun of all the acts, so Eurovision is seen as a night to laugh at Europe. Part of it is a sense that people don't vote for us because of things like the Iraq War and Brexit. When you look at other countries that are sending their best artists or having really big competitions. So I think the UK's approach is getting more serious, but it's still 
it's still treating the contest as sort of a novelty and not something to send their best artists to or their best songs to. There's no artist development program. In Melfest in Sweden, you'll have the same artists come through two or three times and maybe their first year they don't win, but by their third year they've released like they're they're going DTF direct to final to win because their songs have gotten better and they've gotten better at performing, etc. You'd think that given how popular reality and singing shows are on television that there would be scope for something much bigger than anything that we've had in recent years to find new performers and new songs and I don't know why it just hasn't happened okay so when you think of a reality or singing show what kind of song do you think of well that's a really interesting question because they're almost always covers and not new material and I, I can't think of any avenues on on tv in particular at the moment that really showcase much new musical material at all anymore um so i don't know where people would go to to find music other than online and when you're thinking about the performers on these reality shows what are they tending to sing covers of uh, probably stuff that was in the charts three or four years ago um the stuff if you're lucky (laughs) The, <laughs> the stuff they're singing is going to be stuff that requires you to have a big voice and a lot of trills, a lot of up and downs. So you have to be singing in a certain way, and then you're only singing a certain type of song. Whereas this year, let's take um, Lithuania, for example. You had rap, you had two futuristic ballads, you had... One of the catchiest songs was a joke song about Lithuanian basketball players. You had a band. You had, uh, usually there's some jazz. So you have all of these genres coming together and nobody is saying, this is what a Eurovision song needs to sound like. The problem that the UK has is they tend to start from a preconceived notion that the song needs to come with somebody from a big voice from a reality show background, which hasn't always been the case. Again, Lucy Jones is West End. Suri has a Eurovision background. But Michael Rice, our entry last year, was on All Together Now. And the other people who were in the selection show were on things like The Voice or tried out for The Voice, etc. So we don't recruit people who have a message or a song they want to sing we recruit people who perform in a certain way and we're already boxing ourselves in at that point so we need something that enables people to actually come on and perform their own material not to expect people to come on and do covers and as you say sing in a certain way and show that they are maybe very good at singing in a certain way but that leaves no avenues for anything other than that very narrow focus for people to actually come to anyone's attention um the last time we did that we had an artist uh named molly who came with her own song called children of the universe i want to say it was in 2013 or 2014 and it was really good and powerful and then the next year the uk just moved back to its typical stuff so it's it's disheartening but Across the Eurovision spectrum, you you don't always have people who are performing their own songs. Um, there are people who make a living writing Eurovision songs, like a Thomas G. Son, who has written 
He's written songs for countries across the spectrum. So I was watching the 2016 competition last week as part of Eurovision again, and there were two rock bands in the competition, and Thomas Jeeson had written or co-written both of their songs. So they're part of the sameness and part of the Eurovision style, um, in air quotes, comes from the fact that some people are trying to replicate what's successful. At, at, to put that in context, Thomas Jeeson uh, wrote... Euphoria by Loreen, which is considered the best Eurovision song of all time. Um, in fact, people people laugh now because, you know, if you're asked, oh, what's your favorite Eurovision song of all time? And somebody goes, oh, Euphoria. It's, it's kind of, I can't think of a good translation into another fandom, but it's kind of like saying the most obvious answer. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, what's your favorite Star Trek episode? Oh, the Trouble with Tribbles. Um, you know, because <laughs> it's just the one that's probably most publicized. Um, yeah. Mm. What one other thing to note that the fandom does is every New Year's Eve, there's a thing called um, the ESC 250, uh, done by. Um, ESC Radio, which is an online radio station that plays nothing but Eurovision songs all the time. It's brilliant. Um, but they'll do a countdown of the top 250 songs of Eurovision every year, from all years, all 60 plus years of the contest. And for the past few years, uh, Euphoria has been at the top of that 250. So every year people are like, this is the year we're going to knock Lorene off! And <laughs> Every year it doesn't happen. I rank Euphoria as my number one because it's a great song. Um, yeah. So, the last question: Why is Australia in Eurovision? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what elements would you put into your own personal homebrew to get you through the lockdown? Oh, that's caffeine. Um, <laughs> my own personal homebrew actually has been caffeine. Uh, and lots of caffeine. It's either Coke Zero or hazelnut coffee. Hazelnut coffee with large doses of Eurovision. With large, large doses of Eurovision. Um, <laughs> it, it's the one other problem with Eurovision is that many of the songs are very catchy, so they will get stuck in my head. So from January onward. I will just be singing random snippets of random songs <laughs> around the house. I'll be dancing on trains during my commute. Like, yeah, so Eurovision just warps the perception of what's acceptable in public because the songs make you so happy you just want to share it with the world. Fantastic. Well, on that note, thank you so much for joining us, Dude Point. It's been a pleasure. Um, Thank you. I will send over the YouTube playlist because I think my ramblings aren't that interesting, but your reaction to what all of the songs are would be very interesting, I think. <laughs> Excellent. If people want to follow you on Twitter or find your Eurovision blog, where should they look? Um, so on Twitter, I'm DudePoix, that's Dude Points, uh, all one word, and my blog um, is DudePoix, it's at DudePoix.fun, F-U-N. Excellent. Well, uh, thank you again for joining us, it's been wonderful. <laughs> thank you! Uh, thank you for letting me ramble on about Eurovision to a captive non-Eurovision audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once
once again, we'd like to thank Anne, aka Dudepoint, for joining us and telling us all about the wonderful things happening in the world of Eurovision fandom, even in the absence of the main song contest itself, which, as of time of this episode going out, is tomorrow. Yes, and as always, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at TFCAA, on Facebook, Time for Cakes and Ale, or on our website, timeforcakesandale.com. So join us again on the next Homebrew podcast, but for now, from Time for Cakes and Ale, be, be seeing, seeing you! you.